Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. All right, it's a massive honor to share this morning. I am so excited. I'm love, I've been loving this series um, that we've been doing because I feel like it's so real. Like all of us go through stuff that we don't understand in our lives and they're on all different scales. Like some things are just massive like life-shattering things that don't make sense. And sometimes it can be down to simple things like, God, why did you not bring healing in a simple thing that I prayed for, even smaller? And it's just this massive scope of things in our life where sometimes God doesn't make sense. And so I've just loved this series because it's um, just so real and practical to where we're all at. And it's so honest. Um, And I was just thinking about the prayers that God gets. So in my, my inbox on Gmail, it's really nice. It sorts it for me. So it has like my normal emails then it has all the social emails so if I get emails from Facebook and stuff they go in there then it has the promotions one which I never look at because I don't ever want to look at all the spam that's in there but I appreciate how it sorts it all for me and I was kind of thinking like if God had a prayer box there'd be like a few categories there'd be like the thank you prayer box and then there'd be like the prayer requests box and the I'm sorry box and then there'd be like the why God why box and that box would be really full because I think I've prayed it at least enough times for it to be full. And so I'm sure that amongst all the people throughout all of history who have ever prayed that prayer, that prayer box is very, very full. And um, so I think that it's just so important to firstly acknowledge that there are things that don't make sense and that's okay. Like that's something we all experience. And then we actually have to live with that. And so this series has been so practical in equipping us to actually live and walk in faith in those times that God doesn't make sense, which I think is just, yeah, so exciting, so encouraging. I've really, really enjoyed it. And I'm really privileged to get to share the next, um, yeah, bit on that journey. So um, I was just thinking like day to day in our world, people, not everything makes sense, but on a large scale, things make sense. Like we can talk, I understand the words other people are saying. What I'm saying to you hopefully makes sense right now. We understand we like food, we understand dress. There's a lot of things in our culture, gestures, symbols, they make sense to us. Like day to day, a lot of things, we we're, all, we're kind of on the same page with lots of things. But I've been on a couple of mission trips um, over the past couple of years. I went to Vanuatu with the team a couple of weeks ago. That was awesome. Um, but the longest mission trip I've been on and the biggest culture shock I've had was when I went to India. So I was in India for um, two months and it was extremely challenging. It was a very, very challenging time for me because not a lot made sense to me because things were so different and it wasn't that things were wrong it was just very very different from what I was used to day to day and um just like as an example of one of the things that happened when we were over there I was there with a team of 11 people from YWAM and um it was like within the first week of us being there when we were like trying to figure out what to do for dinner and we'd been to this restaurant earlier in that week and we picked up a menu and on the back of the menu it had like a takeaway delivery thing and it would deliver food to us and so it said things like egg roll vegetable roll chicken roll and like the equivalent price was about 40 cents and so we're like oh like spring rolls we were like yeah yeah we know this we got this we're all over this and so we like called them up we were going to order dinner and we called up and everybody was like oh I'll have like seven and someone else was like oh I'm not that hungry so I'll just have four and a piece of naan bread and like we all were ordering like five or six of these egg rolls or vegetable rolls or whatever it was and so I called up and I, I was the one who placed the order and I was like, all right, we want 26 vegetable rolls and 30 chicken rolls. And so I was just calling up, putting through the order and they kept like confirming back to me like 26. I'm like, yeah, yeah, 26, blah, blah, blah. And they just were acting really bizarre about it. And I was like, these people, they're like, all right, well, we'll deliver, we'll be there soon. 
And we waited so long. We were, we, it really wasn't that long, but we were really hungry. We're like, oh my gosh, we're waiting so long for these chicken rolls and these vegetable rolls to come. Like just these little spring rolls. We don't know what's going on. And like finally, after all this time, it came. And we discovered that an egg roll or a vegetable roll or a chicken roll is kind of like an Indian burrito. It's like at least this big and this round. And we'd ordered enough food for literally 56 people. And there was 11 of us. And I just can't even imagine what they must have been thinking on the other side of the phone. They're like, oh my gosh, get the chickens, kill more chickens. What are we going to do? And we're here complaining, like, why are they taking so long? And they're like, I think to like do all the food they were doing one day for everyone else just for us. So we ended up feeding everybody in the compound. It was, it, and it ended up being a really funny story. But that was just an example of something that didn't make sense to me. And all the time we'd be out on the street talking with people and the things that they were saying didn't make sense. But what I realized is it wasn't that what they were saying didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense to me. They were in a different world, a different culture, a different set of understandings and values. And I think that that's kind of the realization that we have to come to with God. Like I'm in this whole, throughout the preach, I will talk about God not making sense. But the truth is God makes sense. He just doesn't always make sense to us. We just don't always have the understanding of what he's doing. He's kind of in like this spiritual, awesome God, heavenly world. Like our minds can't even understand. Like think of, if we try to think about eternity, like we can't. Like that doesn't make sense in our minds. But God understands that. We actually just lack a level of understanding about some of the things that um, God is and some of the things that God does. So um, I will be talking about God not making sense and we have, as we have been, and that's not wrong. But it's just really good to remember that he does make sense. The things he's doing do make sense. We just don't always understand them. They just don't always make sense in our world at the moment. And um, so I was just <laughs> thinking about the Bible. and I was thinking, we don't actually have an appreciation for how many times in the Bible God doesn't make sense. Like, I'm speaking about one story today, but there are so many times in the Bible that God does crazy things that make no sense. Like putting David up against Goliath. Or um, telling the Israelites to walk around Jericho seven times and the walls would fall down. Or talking through a donkey or sending his son to live in a stable. Or telling a man who was really old and his wife was barren that he'd be the father of many nations. Like, or, or when his son does come, letting his son be crucified on a cross. Like These things don't actually make any sense. And we look at them and we're like, oh, of course that makes sense. Of course David had to kill Goliath because... We, he just had to show how awesome God was. Of course, they had to walk around Jericho because it was going to show how great God was. Of course, God sent Jesus in a stable so that the shepherds could come and visit him and it would fulfill prophecy. Of course, Jesus had to die because we was going to rise again and he's going to be the ransom for our sins. But like the people in these stories at the time didn't know that. Like we actually have this perspective and this big picture on the Bible and the stories that are in the Bible that the people who were going through them didn't have. Like God made no sense so many more times than we can realize. Almost every story in the Bible, God does something crazy, something that doesn't make any sense or didn't make any sense in the culture at the time that it happened. Like for example, um, in the Gospels, it records the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection as being women, which in that culture was like crazy because in that culture, a woman's testimony meant nothing without a man to back her up. And so in the culture, like, that was crazy. Why, God, why would you do that? But now it's amazing because it's one of the greatest apologetics for the resurrection. They wouldn't have made that up because that was not believable in their culture. 
And secondly, it shows the value that God places on women and on um, women's testimony. And so that's just like, there's so many examples that at the time it was like, why? But with the perspective, it makes sense. Um, so today I want to focus on the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, who has their Bibles? I lost mine, so I stole David's Bible. That's one I have today. I hope I find it. I really like my Bible. Anyway, so if you have your Bibles, um, if you could flip over into Genesis 37, there's like 10 chapters or more on Joseph. So we're not going to be able to read all of them. We're going to kind of like skip through and just kind of get the major points of his story. Um, but I just like want us to kind of like try to like imagine being in Joseph's story today, not knowing the end. Because a lot of us, I'm sure, know the end of Joseph's story. Some might not, but a lot of us know the end. But it's just like, I think, to try to practice the empathy of what would that have felt like for Joseph not knowing the end? Because that's our life experience, isn't it? Like, we're in situations and we're feeling the emotional intensity and we're feeling the struggle and we're feeling that God doesn't make sense. And we don't actually know the end. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't see the future. And that's what it was like for Joseph in his situation. So we're going to look at that um, as we go through. So quickly, a bit of context. Who was Joseph? So we're talking about Old Testament Joseph. There's two very important Josephs in the Bible. Um, but the father of Jesus, I mean, honestly, we could do a whole preach about the father of Je Jesus and how his story didn't make sense. Like, what was God doing? He, like, got his future wife pregnant. It was just, like, crazy. Um, but we're looking at Old Testament Joseph today. So pretty much we'll start at creation just to give context of where this fits in. God created the world. It was really awesome. Man sinned. It was really bad. Things were going really, really bad. And then... Um, God was like, I need to set a plan of redemption in place. And so what he did is he picked a man named Abraham and he gave Abraham all these promises. He's like, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you um, heaps of people. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing to many nations. Um, and then Abraham had a son named Isaac. And then Isaac had a son named Jacob. And then Jacob had four wives and 12 kids. Actually, had two wives and two concubines and 12 kids. So heaps and heaps of kids. And um, one of his wives was his favorite. This is the chick he worked 14 years to earn her hand in marriage was Rachel. And she was like, it, the Bible describes her as being pretty much, she was like a massive babe. And he's like, man, I love this girl and I'm going to marry her. And he worked 14 years to get to marry this girl. And um, so he like really loved her, but she couldn't have children. And so his other wife, it actually says in the Bible that he didn't love her as much, which was so sad. And God gave her all these children um, for that reason. God like rewarded her and took care of her in that. But Rachel, who he loved, couldn't have children for so many years. And he was having all these children with his other wife and his other concubines. And it was all messy and all this family drama. Because you imagine like one man marrying two sisters. That's like crazy. Like this is serious family drama. And it is. That'd be horrible. Anyway, um, and finally, 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 after years and years and years, God blesses Rachel and um, Jacob with a son, Joseph. And so can you guess whose daddy's favorite little boy is? Joseph. He loves this kid so much. He's prayed for him. He's waited for this kid for so many years. And that doesn't go down too well with all of his brothers. He makes him like a special coat. It doesn't say Technicolor dream coat in the Bible, but if that means something to you, that's kind of what it was like, a Technicolor dream coat. Uh, it was beautiful. And um, 
there's like a lot of family drama going on again amongst all the sons because of this whole thing with having daddy's little boy and daddy's favorite so we'll pick up the story in Genesis 37 um, verses 5 to 8 so it says one night Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it they hated him more than ever Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, don't you? Do you actually think that you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And I can tell you, if my little sister came up to me and said, hey, guess what? One day I'm going to be the queen and you're going to bow down to me. I probably wouldn't think it was that cute. So his brothers were like so mad. They were like, how dare you? You're already daddy's little boy. It's actually, he's actually a dobber. Like it already has said in this story in chapter um, 37 that he like tells his dad whenever his brothers do like bad things. Like this kid is like not going well with his brothers. They do not like him very much. And so after he's had this dream, he tells them they're super mad. And then to skip forward a little bit in the story, he has another dream and he tells them and they're like, oh my gosh, this kid's crazy. It was like a really, really similar dream where they were all bowing down to him. Um, And after this, his brothers all go away. So they're all shepherds. They're going away to take care of sheep um, in a place called Shechem. And they're over there for a little while. And then dad wants to know how the brothers are doing, if they're doing well, if they're behaving themselves. So who do you think he sends to go find out? Joseph. So Joseph's like the little daddy's boy teacher's pet. He's going to go check on them and tell dad if everything is going all right. And so that's pretty much what happens. He goes after them because his dad told him to, and he's actually obeying his dad. He wasn't doing anything wrong. But you can see how from the brother's perspective, it would have been like quite annoying. And so he goes, he finally finds them. And we'll pick up the story again when he finally finds them. Um, So this is in Genesis 37, verse 18. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So they're like, they know he has a dream. And they're like, no, we're going to end this. Let's see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. They grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Um, So we'll just skip down a little bit. Pretty much they decide not to kill him. Um, And so in verse 27, it picks up and it says, instead of hurting him, let's sell him to this Ishmaelite trader. So there's some traders walking by and they're like, let's sell him to the traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers um, pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Wow. Like, imagine this kid. Like, he has this dream that God's given him that he's going to, like, be a ruler. And he's trying to do the right thing. And maybe he's, like, an annoying little brother, but he's trying to do the right thing and obey his dad. And in the middle of all that, he gets sold into slavery. Like, can you imagine what must be going through his head? Like, as he walks down that road, like, the rejection he must be feeling, 
the sorrow, the confusion, like, God, where are you? How can this be you? Like, this doesn't make sense, God. This isn't what was meant to happen. You told me that I was going to be a ruler, and now I'm a slave. Like, God, what is happening? This doesn't make any sense. And he was 17 at this point. Like, I was so homesick when I left home for YWAM when I was 17, and that was in Australia, and I had constant contact with my parents. Like, this kid has been ripped from everything he knows. His family thinks that he's dead, well, at least his dad does, and everyone else doesn't like him anyway. And then he's, like, in a different culture. He probably can't even speak the language, trying to learn everything about Egypt. Like, what this guy's going through is so full on. And you can imagine if he's praying, like, why, God, why? Why would you let this happen to me? Why would you let this happen to me? This is terrible. Um, but I think it's so interesting how in this passage it makes a special note that God is with him even when it doesn't make sense. So we're going to skip over to um, Genesis 39. And it says, When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And so at this point, if I was Joseph, things would be looking up a little bit. He got sold to a really high official in Egypt. So that would seem pretty good, right? Like it's like maybe if I do really well in his house... I might be able to get like up to being like near the king. Like he's at least in a place with people who have influence. And so he's in this place and it says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And all his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph, he didn't have to worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. I love how the Bible adds that in. Like, that's just very necessary. We had to know we had to worry about what kind of food to eat. Um, so pretty much Joseph's in this guy's house and he's actually working really hard and God's blessing him even in his slavery, even in a foreign land and things are going really well for him in this house. And so if I was Joseph, I'd start to feel a little bit up. I might be like, you know what? Maybe this does make a little bit of sense. Like maybe God's going to use this, like my role in this house. He's like the second highest person in this Potiphar's house. Like things might be going well. So if I was Joseph, I would be feeling a little bit more optimistic. Like God was starting to make a little bit more sense. And then it gets even worse. It's so sad. So I'll just summarize it so we don't run out of time. But pretty much what happens is it says in the Bible that whatever a guy version of a baby is, that's what Joseph was. It says he was good looking and Potiphar's wife was like, oh, hey. And he was like, no, I'm not going to like like I'm not I'm staying away like Potiphar's kept nothing from me except you because you're his wife and she's like no 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 come on let's do our thing and he's like no 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 and so they have like this big like back and forward thing for a while and eventually she like grabs his coat and he's like come on sleep with me and he's like honoring God like that would have been an easy temptation to give into because she was like so like so many times she was begging him for this and it would have been an easy easy temptation but he was honoring God and obeying God even when what was happening didn't make that much sense. So pretty much he runs off, she has his coat and she's like so mad. She just makes up a story and tells everybody that he was trying to rape her, even though it was pretty much exactly the opposite. And she like gets him thrown in prison. 
Can you imagine what he must have been feeling at that moment? He was actually honoring God and making a good, moral, difficult decision. And that's what actually got him thrown in prison. Like God doesn't make very much sense right now. He thought maybe things were going better. He was in the high official's house and now he's in prison. Like just think back to this dream he had when he was 17. How is that ever, ever going to come to pass now? He's in prison. God, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. And so um, in prison, there's a, I'll just read about what it says about him in prison. I just love it. It says, Um, But the Lord was with Joseph in prison, and he showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused him to succeed in everything he did. So this guy's like an administrative master. Wherever he goes, he like is the admin guru and organizes everything. He's like really, really great at that. And it says so specifically that God was with him in prison, even in the midst of things that didn't make sense. And he continued to serve God and to do what was right, even in prison, even when it didn't make sense. Like, I can't even imagine what he must have been feeling at that moment. I'm sure prison is not very nice, especially in ancient Egypt. I think it would have been very, very bad. And here's this kid with this dream that he's going to be a ruler that God's put in his heart. And he's sitting in a prison in a foreign country and his family thinks he's dead or hates him. Like, it's just devastating. Like, I can't even imagine what he must have been feeling. Um, And then, to skip through the story a little bit more, he interprets the dream of a man that's in the prison, the chief cupbearer. And um, he just pretty much says, you're going to be restored to your position with the king. And he says, when you get restored to your position, remember me. Say something to the king. I'm here. I'm innocent. Please remember me to the king. And what, what happens is that that chief cupbearer does get restored to his position with the king, but he completely forgets about Joseph. And then two years later, two full years, Joseph's sitting in the prison for two full years. And after two full years of all this going on, um, this is what it says. And so it picks up in Genesis 41. It says, two full years later, Pharaoh um, dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing on the marsh grass. And it goes on and on and describes these two dreams that Pharaoh had. And pretty much, in one of them, there was all these healthy cows, and then all these skinny cows ate them, but they were still skinny. And then there was healthy grain heads, and then all these skinny grain heads ate them, but they were still skinny. And he was really disturbed by this dream. And he called everyone in. He called in the magicians. He called in all the wise people. And nobody could tell him what this dream meant. And he's really disturbed, really upset. He must have known this was like a dream from God. And he couldn't get any answers to this dream. And then finally, two years later, the chief cupbearer has a brainwave and he remembers that Joseph interpreted his dream when he was in the prison. And so down to um, verse 41, it says, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set your mind at ease. And so Pharaoh goes on and tells the story to Joseph. And he's so impressed. And like, sorry, he tells the story to Joseph. And then Joseph tells him what the dream means. God shows Joseph 
what the dream means and he interprets it back to Pharaoh. And pretty much what happens is that Joseph gets put as second in command over the whole land. Like only Pharaoh's above him. And I, I love makeover bits in movies. Like, you know, the bit in the movie where the girl's like maybe a little bit frumpy and then she has the makeover and then she's all beautiful. Or like there's so many different makeover scenes in different movies. I love them. It's so much fun to see the transformation. And that's kind of what happened to Joseph in a really radical way. He was like in prison and in the space of an hour, he went from being in prison to being the highest ruler, one of the highest rulers over the whole nation of Egypt. That's massive. Like, that's absolutely massive. And he could never have got to that place if he hadn't been through the slavery and through the prison and through everything. God actually elevated him to a place of massive honor. And we don't have time to discuss the rest of the story, but ultimately what happened is it was true. His brothers did come and they knelt before him. And ultimately what Joseph did is he saved the entire nation of Egypt plus all of his family from starvation. That's what the dream was about, that there was going to be a terrible famine. And because of his leadership, because of his obedience to God, he saved so like thousands, millions of people from starvation and his whole family. And if his family had died, that would have been the end of God's promise to them. And so he was absolutely key and instrumental in the story of what God wanted to do, even up to the point of bringing Jesus. He was so important in that. But he had to go through so many things that didn't make sense to get to that point. And there were so many moments where it didn't make sense until finally it made sense. I counted, and I think it was probably over 15 years from the time that God gave him that dream until that dream was fulfilled. 15 years. And during those 15 years, he was a slave. He was in prison. He was a ruler. So many things. So many things that didn't make sense. And yet God walked with him through that. And so there's just three quick like takeaways that I really felt like were important from Joseph's story. So like first one is just because God doesn't make sense doesn't mean he isn't with you, he isn't loving you, or he isn't blessing you. It said so specifically that when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, God was with him and God was blessing him. And it said the same thing when he was in the prison. God was with him and God was blessing him. And sometimes it doesn't make sense, but that doesn't mean God's not there. And I know it's something we know, like we know that, but I just think it's so good to remember that. Like I know that I was um, went through like a season of grief. Like it was, um, yeah, it was pretty full on. It was really sad. And I know God was so close to me. He didn't say anything really but I just know he was close and he was with me and I believe that that's the experience that we all can have of God's closeness um, with us in those seasons when it doesn't make sense and the second thing that I really take away from this story is what Joseph did is he faithfully served God and did what was right even when it didn't make sense like how easy would it have been to give up like if I was put in prison I don't know if that would be my instinct. Oh, I'm going to serve and help everybody and make this prison run as efficiently as possible. Like, that's this kind of guy. Suzanne would do that, definitely. I don't know if I would. I'm trying to learn to be like her. <laughs> and that seriously is what his heart was. He did not give in to temptation when temptation was thrown in his face. He served God. He honored God in the midst of that. And I think that that's why... God honored him and God brought to pass the dream that he'd put in his heart. And I was thinking like parents, when they say things to kids, like, I mean, I don't have kids, but I've seen it. Like when a parent will say to like a young kid, don't touch the fire, it's hot, it's hot. And it doesn't make any sense to the kid at that time. But if they listen and they obey and they honor 
even when it doesn't make sense, it goes well for them. And if they don't and say, that doesn't make sense and touch the fire anyway, that's bad. <laughs> and it's kind of, God's like that with us sometimes. He's like, no, don't, like do the right thing, honor me, walk with me through this, even when it doesn't make sense to you. Because I can see, I know more than you. I have a greater understanding than you in this area. And the last um, takeaway I thought was to trust God even when you don't understand his plan. And I think we've, if we're honest, we've all had times when we can look back and say, God, I understand now. I get it now. And it could have been heaps of years later that we say, you know what, God, I get it. I see what you did. I see how you fulfilled that. And that's what happened for Joseph. And I love his words. He says something at the very end of his life um, that I just think is so beautiful and such a beautiful takeaway for all of us. It's in Genesis 50, verse 20. And he's talking to his brothers and he says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. And I think that's amazing, that perspective that Joseph had, that he actually could look back and be like, you know what, God, I see what you were doing. They intended it for evil, but you brought good. And I don't believe God brings evil to us. I don't believe God gives us cancer or brings untimely death at all. But I believe God uses those things when they happen in our lives, absolutely uses them. And just as we're, yeah, about to conclude, if I could get the band up, that would be awesome. Um, one of the things I think is really cool for Joseph is that he actually got to see the fulfillment of his dream. And some of us have got to see that fulfillments of times when God didn't make sense. And then we actually got to see when it did make sense. And that was so exciting. But there was so many people in the Bible that never, ever got to see the fulfillment of their dream. And if we look at the... Um, Hebrews 11, like we see this as like the hall of faith, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, these amazing, amazing examples of faith. And we look at their lives and we get it. We see the significance that their lives had. We see how their lives led to Jesus coming. We see how their lives have even impacted our lives. It seems so clear to us, but they didn't have the perspective that we have. It says in um, Hebrews 11 verse 13, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. And I think that sometimes for us, that, that's our story. Some things make sense a week later. Some things make sense in a year. Some things make sense in 10 years. Sometimes I think we actually need the perspective of heaven. On this earth, we're never going to understand we're never going to, so I think, honestly believe that sometimes we're never going to understand on earth why God did or didn't do some of the things that we thought he should have. But like these people in Hebrews, we're part of a bigger picture that we can't yet see. We're part of something that God's doing that we don't even have the perspective of until we're in heaven, until so many years after we've gone. And that's why it's so important to remain faithful in those times to do what's right and to remain faithful and to keep trusting God even when we can't understand him. And um, one thing that I've been really wrestling with God on is learning to submit even when I don't understand. I was, I, one of my favorite scenes from the Chronicles of Narnia is when the lion, Aslan, he's walking away and he's leaving at the very end of the movie. And Lucy says something along the lines of, where's he going? Will he come back? And I think it's Mr. Tumnus who says he's a, He's not a tame lion, but he's good. And I think that that's so true of God is that he's not tame. We can't put him in a box. We can't understand what he's doing. Sometimes he does things or withholds from doing things and we can't understand it. It doesn't seem to make sense. It's not tame to us, but he's good. 
And if we can have that confidence and that trust in the goodness of God, that's what will carry us through. Because I know that with God, not everything makes sense, but without Him, nothing makes sense. Without Him, it doesn't make sense at all. With Him, I still have questions, but without Him, I have no answers at all. And so I would rather be found worshipping a God that I don't always understand than worshipping nothing at all with no answers at all. And that just is what gives me confidence. And I know that what I've been through is probably, like, the things I've been through have been so much less than what so many of you have had to walk through, things that didn't make sense. But I believe that this is a confidence God wants to give us all, that He's good even when we don't understand, that our stories aren't over, that one day we will see His goodness. One day we will understand. It might not be till heaven, but one day we will understand His goodness in a way that we can't today. So if we could all just close our eyes and bow our heads. I just feel like there was two um, people that God really wanted to um, do a work in today. Firstly, I just felt like God wanted... um, to really touch some people who are wrestling over things in their life that don't make sense. And I felt like he wanted us to release those things and trust him, to stop wrestling over it and to actually trust his goodness and trust that it it doesn't make sense and that's okay at the moment. Um, So if that's you, if you just wanted to raise your hand, I'll just love to pray with you just as a response to God that, um, yeah, if you just want to raise your hand that God wants to come and bring peace even when you can't understand. Thank you, I see that hand. Is there anyone else that would love to respond to that prayer this morning? Thank you, I see. I see lots of hands everywhere. Thank you. And yeah, God, I just pray for each and every person that has their hand up and the ones who don't, that where they're wrestling with things that don't make sense in their life, like Joseph, things just don't make sense right now. God, I pray that you'll come right now, that you'll give them peace, you'll give them confidence, that their story isn't over and that you're good, that you'll help them to surrender that wrestle, that they won't keep um, walking with this sense of striving. But God, you'll give them peace even in the things that they don't understand. You'll give them a peace that transcends understanding right now in Jesus' name. Amen. And just as you continue to pray, I just felt like if there's anybody else, somebody that needed a greater revelation of God's presence with them in the middle of things that don't make sense, that you might feel like God's not with you. So if you wanted to raise your hand, if that's you, you feel like God's not with you, or you feel like you can't feel him, you can't sense his presence, you can't sense his goodness. Um, yeah, so if that's you, if you'd love to raise your hand, I would just like to pray for that as well. Yeah, God, I just thank you so much for each and every person here that Um, has responded in their heart just saying like, God, I need a greater revelation of your closeness. And I just pray um, for all of us, even for me, God, we all need that. We all need a greater revelation of your closeness when things don't make sense. And so I pray that you'll come um, and bring your presence, bring people into our life that can encourage us in those moments. Help us to get our eyes on you and off our circumstances in times when we can't understand. God, I just thank you that you are trustworthy, that you are good, even though you're not tame, even though we can't always understand you. And I just thank you that our story isn't over, that you're orchestrating things that we can't understand yet. And God, I just say that we trust you. We want to be a people that trust you, even when we don't get it. In Jesus' name, amen.